What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Best Of. I'm your host, Ryan Satin. And for those of you who weren't able to listen to every podcast that I did this week, don't worry. I'm not too mad about it. I'm a little disappointed, but I'm not mad. Just disappointed. But I still got you covered. We got you every week here with a Best Of where I'm going to give you a taste of everything that was in the podcast feed, starting with this week's Raw Roundup. So next, we had Carl Anderson versus Damian Priest. The numbers game continued to factor into this one, but Carl ultimately stole a win in the midst of things with a bridging pin, and then a brawl broke out after, and Rhea Ripley was once again the axe factor, the X factor, that led to Judgment Day getting the better of things. Not a lot to really add to this. I still feel as though we are getting a female added to the Good Brothers, or excuse me, to the OC. Maybe not permanently, but at least to help them in their their efforts against Judgment Day to combat Rio Ripley. Don't know who that would be. Maybe like a ret- maybe like a returning Tegan Knox since there's history there of the injury. I don't know. I'm still struggling with this one. Someone tweeted me. And I actually I liked it because I'd said tweet me if you have any ideas. And someone tweeted me maybe the idea of Mia Yim kind of matching their energy. I'd be into that as well. I think that there's also rumors of uh, of a Chelsea Green possibly coming back. Maybe she fits into that role. I don't know. Those are good options, though. Those are better options than I presented you last week, which were none. I didn't have any ideas yet. So there, there's my thoughts on that. Next, we had MVP cut another promo on Amos to hype their crown jewel match. And he says he'll once again be on SmackDown this week. Um, another thing where it's kind of a... This one was similar to another thing that we've kind of seen between them. So not a lot to say here about that. After the break, JBL comes out and heals it up on the crowd before introducing Baron Corbin. Corbin talks about how he has it all. And then and that the people in the crowd have very little... Yet they somehow scraped what little money they had together to see him. Uh, he says, and then he says that we all know the truth, and the truth is an entrance from our truth. Uh, and then they go back and forth on the mic for a little bit. And while joking around on the mic, Corbin tries to attack Truth. It backfires, but JBL distracts Truth long enough, and Baron hits the end of days on him. Here's what I want to say about this. I think a lot of people, I, should, I don't know about a lot of people, I, I saw their, let me rephrase that. I saw people talking about how much screen time R-Truth might get in a Triple H era, where he's much more of a serious guy, where he's kind of like, you know, we've seen that he kind of focuses on the serious side of things more. But I think he's doing a great job of showing that he still wants to give us that that variety you know, that that melting pot of various things because the way he's been using truth recently has been fun. He's been utilizing him in a proper way, in a way that gets the crowd excited, in a way that lets our truth play to his strengths, in a way that maybe gets a heel over a little more. Um, I think it's all been entertaining. I think it's been good the way they've used our truth as of late. Um, so I'm happy that our truth isn't just kind of being left behind in this new era because he is freaking hilarious that guy cracks me up he's so funny like he's one of those people where you could give him the cheesiest material and he's still gonna make you laugh with it just because he's so dedicated to it and this wasn't even cheesy this was not that this was fun but i'm just saying he could he could make chicken salad out of you know what you know so um this was fun and i I, i'm i actually i don't know like are they gonna you think they're gonna do a feud here between corbin and truth I don't know. I don't know if it was just like a like maybe a couple like a match next week and then it's over. I don't know. But I am happy to just be seeing our truth get utilized still. I'm a fan of his. I like his stuff. He's funny. 
He's entertaining. And I think that opposite Corbin, it, it helps people boo Corbin more because they love our truth so much that Corbin being mean to him will only get him more heat. And that's ultimately what's trying to be done with this new version of his character. The most heat possible. That's why they paired him with JBL. Next, we had Riddle versus Otis in a trick-or-street fight. Riddle was dressed as Ezekiel, of course, since he had Elias ringside with him. And Alpha Academy dressed as the Chippendales dancers from that SNL skit with Chris Farley back in the day. And yeah, I saw people say, this is kind of an old joke, but I think that it's pretty timeless. I think a lot of people know what that is. And if they don't know what that is, then then lucky them, because they get to go discover it tonight. And it's hilarious. The finish of this match saw Elias put a pumpkin on Otis's head, and then Riddle hit him with an RKO. I gotta say, dude, like that, you know, sometimes, like I was saying before, those trick or street fights or miracle on 31st Street matches or whatever, um, don't always entertain me. Sometimes they 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 wear out their welcome, they drag on for too long. But this was short concise there was funny stuff in it we saw shades of the old otis as he was playing around kind of being heavy machinery like um yeah i was entertained by this one i i was i thought the finish looked looked cool too um and even though you know it wasn't anything you know groundbreaking this match i think it was ultimately entertaining in a good way to uh, a good way to to celebrate halloween on a halloween day episode Next, we had Mustafa Ali versus The Miz. And, man, the selling for Mustafa Ali is next level. Like, that guy, dude, like, he's so good at what he does. He's so good at what he does. When I watch his matches, and I'm never going, like, oh, he's overselling. Like, even though it's some of his selling is, like, super over the top, like, it, it looks like the person murdered him rather than it being like oh well person wouldn't do that no he just makes it look that much more impactful like when i watch his stuff i think to myself like man he made that person's move look so good he made miz the ddt that miz does look like it could take you out and i love that dude like i think that when you're in the ring with someone and you you know as a wrestler you want the guy who's gonna do that you always hear about you know, the Dolph Zigglers and the Kofi Kingstons and, and such where people want to work with them. They, you know, on my podcast, the Out of Character podcast, not this one, but the, the interviews, you know, my three closing questions are always about their finisher. And I say, who's your favorite person to hit your finishing move on? And Dolph Ziggler and Kofi are, are two of the ones that get named a lot just because of how good they are at selling every move. And how they make it look so good. Same with Ricochet. Ricochet gets the answer a lot too, just because the way they make their body move makes the move look so vicious. And Mustafa Ali is one of those guys. Uh, you can really see it in this match, but you've seen it ever since this new revitalized push he's been getting. Um, whether it's being thrown into a uh, the turnbuckle or or whatever, like he's just making everything look great when it's not even him doing the move. The match ends when Dexter Loomis shows up and attacks Miz, then runs away through the crowd where he came from. This allowed Ali to hit a super kick and a 450 for the W. What surprised me about this was that there was no attack from Rollins here after the match. I spoke about how it almost felt like he was a babyface in the match he was in earlier in the night. And I almost wonder if they didn't have him come out and attack Mustafa Ali after this match because of that. Like maybe they they, you know, changed course because of the the, the big cheers that he was getting, because you wouldn't want them to cheer him beating Mustafa Ali uh, or beating up Mustafa Ali. Um, you want that to get booze. The, the people have been on the side of Mustafa Ali, and I almost wonder, because the match was so good with Austin Theory before, and because, um, you know, he was getting such a positive reaction from the crowd, I almost wonder if they changed course. Would not surprise me. Either way, I hope that we haven't fully moved away from the Mustafa Ali 
Rollins stuff. I was enjoying it. I wanted to see more of it. So hopefully we, we get back into that next week after Saudi Arabia. WWE investigates with Byron Saxton takes place after this. It's a 60 minutes style segment to explain what's been going on with Dexter Loomis and The Miz, at least from the perspective of Johnny Gargano. Gargano says that Dexter is a regular time... Mixing up my sentences here. Gargano says that Dexter is a regular guy like the rest of us, and for a period of time, they were part of a family in NXT, but that family fell apart after Dexter lost his job. They show these reenactments of Dexter Loomis walking out, and it's Johnny Gargano with a blonde wig on, carrying like a box that has like a knife sticking out of it, as if he's had to pack his stuff up and leave from the office. And you see, and then you see another reenactment where it's like blurry footage of what's supposed to be Indy Hartwell crying with her hand out, wanting him to come back. But it's just Johnny Gargano with a wig on again. And both of those reenactment photos had me crying. They were so funny, so stupid, so funny. Um, and then Gargano says all of this took a toll on Dexter's mental well-being. And Miz took advantage of it on the night of Gargano's surprise return. Johnny overheard Miz and Dexter talking backstage and he recorded it. On his phone, so he plays the recording, which seems to show Miz and Dexter had an arrangement to stage a series of attacks, and that he and that Miz wanted to look like he had a celebrity stalker. He then kind of like goes over the whole timeline of Dexter and Miz since he first showed up on the main roster, and I'm trying. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to go back in my mind now because when Dexter Loomis first showed up on Raw, he attacked AJ Styles, right? He like oh, I'm pulling this up. Dexter Loomis, AJ Styles, because he he first okay okay. That's what I thought. I wanted to re- I wanted to say this out loud before I said it. But it was initially he was appearing when AJ Styles was in the rain. He tried to interfere in a match between Styles and The Miz. And then he did so again during the United States title match. And I'm wondering if that is supposed to explain it. Like, yeah, like he was helping Miz initially. Then in 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 the episode where Johnny Gargano came back. That's when he hears that. But yeah, he was paying him. And then Johnny basically explains all the different things, how like each interaction, like they weren't really touching or Miz was clearly helping Dexter Loomis and all of this. And then Gargano eventually surmises that at one point, that at some point Miz stopped paying Loomis. And that's why things have gotten out of control. I love this. I love this so much. I love this so much because here's the deal. For so long, I'd watch Raw and I'd sometimes feel like we'd get all these story points, plot points that didn't really connect. And I'd be doing, I'd be trying so hard to analyze and make sense of it. And ultimately, it just, didn't make sense they they just had dropped certain aspects and something wasn't ever going to actually be brought up again or wasn't important or whatever so to go piece by piece of everything that's happened in this program and explain to the viewer that there was a reason for all of it is so reassuring it's so reassuring because as a viewer i just get so frustrated when things would get dropped i would it was my number one pet peeve when something would get dropped that I was paying attention to and I was into, and then it would get dropped. And they never explained why this was happening. So to explain what was happening in a way that not only satisfied me, but also felt different. It felt like it was made by people who watch what's on TV in other aspects. 
the 60 minute style segment was different, but it was something that you would see today in a real life setting. Maybe not with the silly reenactment. Well, the reenactments would still be silly, but they maybe weren't meant to be silly. But that's part of the fun of pro wrestling. But I actually think that this is a great thing that they could have Byron Saxton do. These are these could be done as a way to kind of like tie things together. And I think it'd be a great way to utilize Byron Saxton to set him apart from Kathy Kelly. Like Kathy Kelly is doing the backstage interviewing. But he's doing these more hard-hitting pieces on stuff that's happening in story. I'd be super into that. This was very entertaining. This served its purpose in story to provide context to everything that we've been seeing in this story without Dexter Loomis having to say a word. Brilliant. I I really, really cannot praise this enough. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that we got this. If you listen to these podcasts all the time, you know I was saying, we got to get to a point where some of this is explained. So the fact that we got all of it explained is even better. Lastly is the main event, Alexa Bliss and Asuka versus Damage Control for the women's tag team titles. Near the end of the match, Bailey and Bianca fought into the crowd they're on top of a platform, and then that allowed Bailey to hit the Bailey to belly through a table nearby. Looked fantastic. Very cool. Then the finish saw Alexa and Asuka get the upper hand for long enough to hit Alexa for excuse me, long enough for Alexa to hit the twisted bliss to get the clean pin for their team. Wow. New champions already. I think it was like 50-day reign for Dakota and EO, so better than Dakota's last tag title reigns in NXT. Gotta say, though, was not expecting this finish. I really wasn't expecting this finish. I, I, I First, let me say this. Pay-per-view level match. Very entertaining match. Like, love getting matches like this to end the show. I love getting a match to end the show where... The finish is truly unexpected. I just, man, I don't know what. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way of wording this. I've seen this disconnect when it comes to damage control on the internet. I've seen some people say they love it. I've seen some people say they hate it. Personally, I'm of the camp that loves it. I feel like they've all been knocking it out of the park. Three veteran talents that have maximized every single opportunity given to them in this era. So I have enjoyed them being kept extremely, them being kept strong for the most part. I felt like, I felt like they really could have given some, importance to those belts by holding on to them for longer and putting on as many just a bunch of bangers putting on matches like this one and winning because ultimately EO and Dakota did need that win more than Alexa and Asuka yes Alexa and Asuka are hugely popular talents great in-ring competitors but they've been to the top of the mountain They've been there in tag title reigns. EO and Dakota need it more. And I really thought that it was going to be a, like a bloodline type situation for the women where they were going to be holding all the gold as they go into Survivor Series rather than all the gold being on the other side. I thought they were going to be the dominant ones heading into this match and make it their, theirs on the women's side. So I'm interested. I'm interested to see how we get there because I do think that if Bailey doesn't win the Raw Women's title at Crown Jewel, there's a problem. <laughs> and I don't, I, that, and I, I don't see a problem in terms of like with the group. In, in terms of like they might need to make a change somehow, I guess, and turn Dakota and EO or something. I don't know, but it's going to be hard to keep them positioned in the way they are at the top of the car. If Bailey also loses when challenging for the for the Raw Women's Championship. 
All right, next, here's a portion of this week's interview on Out of Character. So what's it been like to sit under the learning tree of Seamus? Obviously, he's a future Hall of Famer, and he has so much knowledge for the business. It must be cool to be working side by side with him now. The great thing about Seamus is how hungry he still is. Um, obviously, he's been with WWE probably as long as I've been wrestling now. It's, you know, it's up there 14, 15 years, whatever it is. But he's as hungry as day one. And uh, he actually says uh, quite a few times, uh, it's probably better to come from him than me, but he said multiple times that this is his favourite and best run of his career because this connection that he's got with the crowd now is so organic and real. And a lot of it, like from my perspective, is it's built on the effort that he's putting in in those matches. Um, and I think that's almost more rewarding than, than any other run he would have had up to this point. He's had some great moments and some great matches and, you know, the, the tag team with Cesaro was great and people love that. But when you're out there now on those live events and, and we're going to these random towns all over the place, there's like a visceral reaction when he comes out and you can see how proud he is of that. And he wants to, but he's not satisfied with it. He wants to keep pushing forward and not just to elevate us, but to, to have the best run of his career, even though he's been there that long. Uh, and that's, that's the most impressive thing about Seamus, I think. Yeah, he, dude, that's such a good way of describing him. You know, he's definitely still so hungry for it, even though he's he's won almost every title. He still wants the one that he hasn't got. You know, he he's someone that just constantly wants to still be getting better. And like you said, I agree, dude. I think he is on the run of his career. I think that a lot of people had to uh, rethink how they wrestle during the pandemic. There was no audience there, and they had to kind of like – change how they were doing it to get a better reaction television-wise without the audience there to react to things. And from the pandemic on, like, he has just been consistently, in my opinion, one of the top three wrestlers in the industry. Like, he never has a bad match. He is always killing it. And you can see that he's just been getting better and better and better. And that's crazy to say for someone who's been in the business for, like you said, 15 years or whatever. But you can see it every week and, like, I'm ready – for him to wrestle against Roman Reigns for the title. I'm ready to see it. Yeah, so like I say, at this like really basic fundamental level of what we do, I think people really react to the effort. And I know that sounds so basic, but he wears the effort. You see it on his body. And it might be partly because of the pale skin, but you see his chest. You know, not just against gunfire, it can be against anyone, but he's bright red, his chest, he's got scratches and scrapes and marks all over him. And, He's, he's wearing the effort that he's putting in. And that, that's what I think leads to those visceral reactions. Uh, and maybe up to this point in his career, um, obviously he's, he's been putting in that effort, but to a point it goes unnoticed. But eventually, whether it be now or obviously 15 years ahead, and he's been doing that that whole time and you've been seeing that happen to him, eventually you're going to get your flowers. And that, that night in Cardiff, that's what happened. He finally got his flowers. And, you know, we're so proud of him and, and grateful for that audience for giving him that moment. And also for the, that whole setup of the show, you know, the camera staying on him and, and watching him stand up there and watching the people react to him. And it's genuine and it's real because they've seen the war and the effort that he's, that he's gone through, not just in that one match, but over the course of 15 years. And he's still here and he's still putting in that effort, maybe more than ever. Um, and I hope that when I've been in WWE for 15, 16 years, I hope people see the same in me and I hope, uh, and, and I know Ridge feels the same. And um, yeah, so in that sense, he's a, he's a great role model. Yeah, that effort is 100% the reason why, you know, going into that match in, in Cardiff, I feel like you guys were technically heels, but coming out of it, you guys have been getting baby, huge babyface reactions everywhere that it essentially turned you guys babyface now. Yeah, obviously we, you know, it's a bit fun. It's a bit silly. We chant banger after banger after banger, but like that—that that is the mindset. It's just like I said, name aside, character aside, gimmick aside. For everyone, this is not just me. Really, the bell rings. You've got time to go out there and work, find the best show you can. And if we continue to do that, Seamus continues to do that when he gets singles matches. If if we can start start and continue to do that with bringing Ridge up and, and having this uh, tag team together and putting on the best show we possibly can, then I hope that people still continue to react in that way. And you talk about heel or face or whatever, again, the best reactions are when it's visceral, when it's real. Um, and, you know, I'm so happy that we have Seamus leading us in that respect because 
because of those matches, people are really jumping on, bar- on board and there's a knock-on effect to us. And now when we get our chance, like, you know, we've had a, a, a few, in the last couple of months, we've had a few more chances and they're going to keep on coming. And we're just going to try and knock them out of the park every time. Well, I think that Donnybrook match was a good example of that. I mean, you guys, that was a brutal match. You guys beat the hell out of each other in it. But I think that the fans could see that same effort from you and Ridge when given the opportunity as well. Yeah, and, and to their credit, same with Imperium, right? They have that similar mindset. Um, and obviously all of us coming from Europe um, and, you know, wrestling each other a whole bunch of times. We know what to expect. We know what it's going to be. That was always the mindset with NXT back in the day too, was, was just going out there and having the best match that we that we possibly can. Um, and, and just keeping that same mentality together and going out there and just putting on the, the best, most violent match we possibly can and... and Hopefully having a slightly different feel to anything else on the, on the card, that's the aim. Well, as someone who was there during NXT's heyday, you know, at TakeOvers, the, you know, some of the most popular TakeOvers, and now you're here on the main roster as Triple H has taken over Head of Creative, um, do you feel like the backstage energy and the overall vibe is more similar to NXT than the way it was when you first came to the main roster? Uh, I guess to a point, but it's it's hard to compare what NXT was then because there was a whole group of us that were finally getting a chance in a big company after wrestling for 10 plus years out on the independence. We all already, most of us anyway, already had a bond with each other. Um, and then that takeover sort of model, if you want to call it that, was you could almost live takeover to takeover. The weekly TV was great, but people knew you could just tune into takeover and see those one-off great matches four or five times a year. Um, so everything, everything built to that, everything was built around that. And it wasn't as much of a variety show as the main roster can be. And also it wasn't catering to that big of an audience, although it was still, still very big, right? Um, it was, it was a, a little more niche and all of us had that bond backstage or most of us for the most part. So it's hard to compare, compare it to what NXT was in that sense, or even what NXT is now. It is completely different. But definitely, there's a real positive vibe backstage. Um, and, I, I, you know, I can only speak for myself and, and who I'm surrounded with. And just in the past three months, I feel like Seamus, Ridge and myself, we've come on leaps and bounds. Me and Seamus were actually, we, we were talking about it yesterday. When we look at where we were three months ago to now, it feels like a whole year or two has passed. But it's so condensed and it's been such a fun ride. And, and uh, I can't wait to see where it leads to in the next few months. I literally have written down here as my next note in the last few months of the group being together. You guys have developed great on-screen chemistry together. And I, you can see it as a viewer for sure. Like you guys, I don't know. I mean, obviously you were to some degree, I would, well, you and Ridge knew each other, but you were still kind of like with Seamus, the strangers to some degree, you know? So you can see that he has taken like a, a mentorship bond with you guys and, and it comes across on TV. And I also think, over the last three months, it's helped seeing the two, you know, you and Ridge kind of get to be a little bit more of yourselves as the character to some degree, maybe not necessarily wearing like the suspenders at all times and kind of like getting to be a more comfortable version of how you would perceive the character. Yeah, I don't see why Butch as a character is crazy and unpredictable, but I don't see why I can't wear pro, you know, pro wrestling gear. It's, it, you know, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Some people actually like the other look. Uh, for me personally, I feel more comfortable in that. That's, you know, most of my, that 10 years I spent on the independence. And, and to be honest, even my next run, it was all about the in-ring work. So that's where I'm at my most comfortable. The backstage stuff and the microphone stuff, you know, it's no secret, but that's what lags behind for me. And I feel like this is one point in my career where we're getting more confident with that. I'm, you know, Seamus is bringing me up a little bit more with that. And then obviously we're trying to help Ridge along as somebody who's, at least compared to us, relatively new to the business and instilling confidence in him. And you can just see, you know, all three of us, it's all starting to build up together. Um, and I, I do think too, in, a, in some ways, we help Seamus too because, you know, he's got us to fall back on and to rely on and talk to and to, to push ideas around. And uh, I've wrestled for a very long time too, so I have my own views and opinions and ideas and all that kind of stuff. That And, and to his credit, he's super open to all of that too. So we're always bouncing ideas off each other and it's a really, really fun process. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy that I came up to the main roster in this group. 
it definitely gives you that setting in period where you get to, to grips with things up there that isn't necessarily the stuff in my that's in my wheelhouse that I do best, like you say, the microphone work or the sort of the backstage type stuff. But then when it comes to the in-ring stuff, that's where my mind comes in and where I can help out and give as many ideas as I can. So, you know, we all bounce off each other and we all help each other out, of course, now we're traveling together. We're all really great friends. feels like I've known Seamus for the whole time I've been wrestling. Reality, it's been, what, less than a year since I came up. So, yeah, it's, it's all been a whirlwind. It's been really fast, but super enjoyable. Well, I think it's a perfect mix of things. You know, you've got um, someone like Seamus who I think when you are there for 15 years, it helps to have young hungry people around you that are like well i haven't been i maybe even wrestling since i was 12 years old but you know this is my i haven't been on you know wwe tv for 10 years or 15 years or whatever so you know you have his you know veteran knowledge there of wwe combined with like the young hungry energy of you and ridge to kind of like re-energize him and it, and it really has helped I, I i feel like in making you know giving him something to kind of like dig his teeth into and really you know get you know get over it with the audience and people are loving it like i'm like i said before i'm ready to see seamus challenge for the title yeah to be honest with that the youthful uh energy and stuff that's coming from him we joke i'm like the the old man of the group i'm the level-headed uh uh old man of the group and then seamus is the youthful energy and you know in a, in a strange way i think that's that works too like i'm pulling back sometimes and he brings me up sometimes and uh and then obviously having ridge there too he's just untapped potential um who's had a really unfortunate start to his run on the main roster and nxt to with injuries to himself and then obviously the the big east situation and, and whatnot it's been a whole lot of stop start and never really got the chance to get going or show what he's capable of and finally now it feels like we can hopefully leave so much of that in the past and now show the raw potential that's there you know he's a great athlete um he looks to buy big and strong and loves loves wrestling um and i hope that you know that's something i'm taking a responsibility with too is like i want to have the best match we possibly can for both of us i want to show off what he can do show the world what he's capable of and uh in turn for myself because i had that sort of eight nine months of being um not being able to show it really showing off that in-ring work well, what's your uh, what's your relationship like with Triple H? You guys got a good relationship? Yeah, it's great. He's a great boss to work for. Um, yeah, I, there's no bad things at all to say. I love the time under him in NXT. NXT UK was was a blast. He's always been great with me. He's super approachable, um, and I was just to be honest, I was just really happy to see him back in any capacity. Um, obviously, when he when he came back from his troubles. Um, it was just great to have him around, see him in some capacity, see him back to work. Um, and then for now, for him to be heading creative and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's even better because he's there every week. He's fully involved and he's so approachable, you know, I can go to him with, with any small thing. Um, and, and to be honest, a lot of times I can leave him to it. and I have full trust in him, you know. Uh, that whole UK tournament and all that, the trust that he put in me to do that, uh, to that point, he'd probably seen me have one tryout match. He probably had watched footage of me and stuff separately, but I hadn't even met him until till the, I would say, the press conference, which was a few weeks before the UK tournament, and then never worked with him until the UK tournament, and he had full trust in me to go out there and have, what, three or four matches that weekend to be the sort of the ongoing story throughout that weekend and to sort of build the UK title around me, uh, myself and Tyler, Trent, Mark Andrews, others. You know, the, the trust that he put into me there. So ever since then, I'm, my full trust is in him. So um, I try not to bother him too much, but I know that he's there. And I know that he's approachable. And I know I'm always going to enjoy the creative that's there and I'm going to do my best, the, the best I possibly can with it. That's crazy that you didn't meet him until the press conference. I would think that you would have met him before that for sure since they had like this whole thing riding on you guys. Well, I'm trying to remember. I definitely, I definitely met him very, very briefly. Me and Tyler did a like a dark match before the show to test the cameras in Glasgow, where we had our tryout. Regal picked us us two up to to go and wrestle. And I remember he was on his phone or whatever. And then we were in there, and we were just we were just taking it as a job interview, right? So we were out there just putting our best foot forward, putting on the best match we possibly could. And then I remember halfway through, he puts his phone down and just starts watching. 
And I remember him standing there and watching the whole thing. So afterwards, me and Tyler hung around. Uh, he was actually talking to Chris Jericho and we, we stood by the rail, you know, really awkwardly. And we thought, we've got to, we've got to get five minutes with him if we can. Uh, and then eventually uh, Jericho turned around and asked us if we were okay, what we needed. And we said, oh, you know, we just wanted to, to make sure everything you saw was okay. If there's anything we could do different to improve and get your thoughts. And uh, Triple H basically just said, no, it was great. And then Jericho said, I'll, I'll just give me five minutes, I'll come talk to you. And we had a good chat with him and he had some really kind words to say and stuff. But that was the only like, brief in, encounter I'd had with Triple H. But between that and obviously Regal, I, I'm sure was a big part of it. Um, that's what led to the UK tournament. And that was where I built more of a relationship with him. But but even there, obviously, he was so busy. It was so brief. I remember I was I was UK champion by the time that we actually sat down together and, and uh, had a more casual conversation. Um, that was uh, quite a long time after because it was such a whirlwind. But like I said, that trust he put in me, so I'll always have trust in him. Uh, it's great to work for. Whenever I think of you in Triple H, I always think of that that moment of the whole, of, you know, when you attack Sam Gradwell and then he comes back and there's the whole ruckus backstage and then he tells you to to make a name for yourself. That's, the, that's like the main image I have of the two of you. You know what? I, I use that moment a lot as well when the, the Butch character was first sort of, because I, I don't, I can't even really remember what was pitched to me, but I just know it needed to be unpredictable and aggressive and, you know, kind of like a pit bull. But when I think back to my, my initial moment in WWE that connected me with so many people, was it was that, the unpredictable nature of me running across the stage and taking out Gradwell and just causing absolute chaos. And you had, you know, Regal in my face. And th then I thought back to that and I'm like, I feel like I've always had elements of this. It's just with the type of matches that I put on and just the nature of NXT, I feel like at some point we get away from that and we focus more on the in-ring work. So that was definitely one of those those moments that I used to go, okay, there's definitely elements in what I was doing that's almost exactly the same as this. I've probably just got to amp it up and, and be a bit more in your face with it, be at 100 more of the time. Um, yeah, but that was one of those moments there. And that moment was huge for me when I think back. Like Again, it wasn't a case of just not only trusting us to go out there and put on the matches we did, but also giving us moments like that with Regal in my face and, and me almost sort of smiling about it and then walking backstage and having that that moment with Triple H. Things like that really legitimise you. And I'm so grateful I got to do that because it's changed my life. It's changed, obviously, my my daughter's life now, my wife's life, all, all from those those moments and that trust that was put into us. Did you take that to heart? Even though I obviously it was part of you know a, a television product or whatever, but when that was said to you, you know, did that kind of put a chip on your shoulder? Like, well, crap, now I do have to go make a name for myself because one of the top people told me to do it? To be honest with you, I was so comfortable in the ring. As I had a decade of experience. I did it since I was 12. You know, for me, I was so comfortable in that setting that I was relatively unfazed by the whole thing. I, I did still find the, you know, uh, talking aspect of it and the backstage stuff. I still had my sort of, uh, a bit of a... Uh, anxiety around that at times that was where more of the nerves would creep in but in terms of anything and luckily with the setup of NXT it was all about in-ring quality and honestly I can I can say there was no nerves ever I was relatively unfazed by it all and I, that's why I think I've managed to connect so well with people at that time because I was so in the moment there, there wasn't that that nervous energy around me at all I was completely confident with what I was doing um so it was more of a being able to do that, I was self-aware enough to go to to sort of know that what that was going to do for me outside of that. Obviously, you have to remember at the time, I was still doing the independence of, uh, alongside of it. And I knew what those kind of moments were going to do for me. And I was super, super grateful. Well, okay. What, before we move too far away from NXT UK, uh, what was your reaction to the news that NXT UK is now taking a hiatus and that it would be rebranded in the future as NXT Europe? Anything in regards to UK and Europe, I'm always excited for. A huge reason being, I get to go home. Any opportunity to go home and see my family and get my wife and daughter back is amazing. But also, uh, I owe so much to the, the British, European scene, whatever you want to say. Uh, we were lucky enough to have such a good group of us all around going under the radar for, like I say, a decade until it all really started to blow up. Um, and to have that experience of going out there and doing those shows under the radar, making every mistake and tweaking them and fixing them ourselves and having like-minded people around, 
I'm so uh, grateful for that time in my career. I feel like that's something that it's really difficult to get now with how the internet is and Twitter and whatnot. When something's good, people see it immediately. Well, we were doing good stuff, but we still weren't good yet, you know? So having that extra time under the radar to do that and so many fun memories of traveling around the place and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I hope that it gets wrong again. I hope that, um, in fact, I know it will get wrong again. And I, and I really hope that a lot of the, those British talent that deserve it get back on board with an even bigger spotlight. That'd be incredible to see. Lastly, here's a portion of the SmackDown Roundup. There was a Viking Raiders vignette. And since we see the Viking Raiders in it, we've seen them now. It's now starting to feel like these are more vignettes to promote a new look for Sarah Rowe as the manager of this group. And I'm hyped to see her back. I think that she definitely is going to add something to the Viking Raiders in some way. I mean... If you follow her on social media, she does live that Viking lifestyle. And I think that when I've seen, you know, Viking stuff on TV, the women have some cool looks. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Sarah Rose whole vibe is once she comes back with the Viking Raiders. And good for her. Good for her that she's that she's back. It's cool to see some of these new moms just still being able to do what they want to do while also having families like Candice LeRae and you know, Sarah Rowe, Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch. Um, really cool to see the advancing of, of wrestling and how people can do both. I like it. Next, there was Ricochet versus LA Knight. Knight talks crap on the mic on his way to the ring and begins to berate ring announcer Samantha Irving. This, of course, angered her boyfriend Ricochet, who dove on him outside the ring. And the match eventually began once they were back in the ring. The finish saw LA Knight... Steal a win by rolling through on a roll-up attempt and holding Ricochet's tights. What I liked most about this match is that it felt like two performers being given the freedom to perform the way that they see fit for their characters. And it's just a small thing, you know, but you've really, at least from my perspective, you've really seen just these past couple of weeks a, a new energy ex, like exuding from from um from LA Knight. The fact that he has Triple H believing in his character again, believing in his ability on 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 SmackDown on the main roster. I think it's just firing up in a way that is starting to get him the attention that he deserves. He is really good on the mic. He is a really good performer. He is entertaining. So to see him kind of get this new motivation to prove everyone to prove to everyone that that he is a, that he could be a future main eventer, I see it in him. You can see it when you're watching a, a, a renewed passion in his eyes that wasn't there when he was doing the Max Dupree stuff. He really wants this to work. In Ricochet too, I mean, I think that with Ricochet, I know when I when Triple H came back, I wanted a massive push for Ricochet, but I also understand that Ricochet has some building to do, and I think that you know. Feuds like this with LA Knight where they're maybe not necessarily, you know, for a title or for, you know, something big. But just like I was talking earlier, Emma and Zia Lee or, you know, Liv Morgan and Sonya Deville. These little mini feuds help too. They, 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 the, I always look at it like the video games where when someone wins, when someone ends a feud that's successful, one that people like, they both gain from it. They both get like their meter bar moving up a little bit. You know, it's like little by little and the crowd believes in them more and more. And so these little mini feuds are helpful and Ricochet kind of getting to be the character Ricochet sees himself as has been helping him as well. And so using these two guys to kind of help elevate each other is smart move in my opinion. I'm also noticing that SmackDown is becoming more of the NXT-like show of the old, NXT of old, getting Shayna Baszler, Ricochet, LA Knight, Viking Raiders, Liv Morgan, Sonya Deville, Emma, um, you know, Bray Wyatt, Gunther, um, you know, a lot of Legato. Um, these are all names 
of people that made their way through NXT. And I know that when you look at the roster in general, it's like that now. But these are all names that I do associate more with NXT. Maybe not so much Liv Morgan because she was only there in the beginning and... You know, or you know, she wasn't as you know as prominent on NXT TV, but she was there. I'm just, I'm getting a, a real NXT vibe from SmackDown as the weeks go on, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I'm, I'm starting to notice that Raw is kind of like what people used to remember Raw as. Still sports entertainment, and so is SmackDown sports entertainment. But I'm just noticing more of an NXT vibe. Tweet me, tell me if you think I'm crazy for that, because I I, I I don't think it's just me who's been noticing that. After that, the Bloodline was backstage. Jay Uso tells everyone that he wants to go to the ring to let the brawling brutes know what they're gonna do to them at Crown Jewel. And Sammy tries to talk Jay out of this, but Jay says it's not a Bloodline thing, it's a Uso thing. And uh, Jimmy actually agrees with Sammy, and the two of them head to the ring. Next, there was Bray Wyatt backstage. And, okay, I didn't write out all the things he was saying here because he was saying a lot. But I wrote down some of them. So Bray was talking about how the concept of sharing his feelings are new to him, which makes it hard when he's interrupted by someone. And then someone in the background seems to kind of interrupt, and he gets mad at them. Uh, says he can't stand how he's thinking about things right now and also says that he wants to smash this guy's head through the wall. He tells the guy to say sorry, which he does. But before that, we can see more video cutting in of Uncle Howdy speaking to Bray Wyatt. Um, I think the part that I didn't write down here might be the most pertinent to what was going on here. Him just talking about how he wants 30 seconds to talk. Like he wants 30 seconds to talk to someone. Like, but it's so hard to to get a, a word with him is kind of what I what I think I got from that. And it seemed like he was saying he wants to be able to talk to Howdy, but Howdy can only talk to him. Did I misinterpret that? I don't know. I don't want to say this was a weak segment with Bray Wyatt. It was a little more confusing, though. Um, I felt like after the introduction of Uncle Howdy, I wanted a little more Howdy action, and we didn't really get much of it, and we didn't really... Get too much of him. Yes, what Uncle Howdy said clearly messed with Bray Wyatt's head last week, and he's been dealing with it, and he's been struggling because he's trying to reveal his true self, and 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 something says that this real true self that he thinks he is isn't who he actually is, and he needs to stop lying to himself. So there's clearly some some inner turmoil going on in Bray Wyatt's brain, which is relatable, and um. Yeah, I, I just felt like out of all the segments, unless I missed something, I I almost felt like it was a little bit of filler until Extreme Rules when we might get something a little more, something that I can sink my teeth into a little more. Next, after that, the Usos come out. The Usos talk about being close to making history as the longest tag champs in WWE. And honestly, at this point, as they were talking... I legitimately was thinking to myself, because they had said the Brawling Brutes so many times in that other backstage, I was thinking, man, the Brawling Brutes are going to come out here, and New Day is just not saying anything? Like, New Day is just not caring about the fact that their record's about to get broken? They're just chilling backstage? Nothing to say about it? So when, when New Day's music hit, I actually popped, since they're the current record holders, and I wanted to see them address the fact that they're about to lose their record. New Day say, though, if they if uh, the Usos get through the Brawling Brutes, they'll be waiting on American soil for the Usos when they return in order to protect their record. <clears throat> Excuse me. Butch and Ridge then attack the Usos from behind, and they all team up to beat Jimmy and Jay, Solo and Sammy, then intervene to even the odds and the bloodline eventually stand tall. I thought this was good. I thought this is, ex like I said, I, I was wondering where New Day has been, like why they don't care. Um, so the fact that they do care, they get winner of, of, the t of the match next week on SmackDown makes all the sense in the world to me. Yes, I know we've gotten the Usos versus the New Day a lot. They've, they've wrestled against each other a lot. They've feuded against each other a lot. I don't know if I necessarily need 
a full-blown feud out of it. However, I just wanted to see New Day caring about their record because we know it's important to them. And I don't even know how I feel about the record going away. I felt like New Day should have kept that record. It, 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 it was very recent. They named they were named on all these lists as best tag team of all time in WWE. And now, now it's already kind of like, uh, uh, it might be a step beneath that suddenly. And I don't like that. I, I think New Day deserve to have that notch in their belt. All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Before I get out of here, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast feed. If you enjoyed this little taste of the roundups, you'll get full Raw and SmackDown roundups every week. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed and check those out. I put a lot of work into them. So I hope that you're enjoying them. And if you are enjoying them, make sure you leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I think you can only leave an actual review on Apple Podcasts, but leave a a rating on Spotify. Just let people know you like this show, please. I want more people to listen to it. (laughs) Also, make sure that you subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find Out of Character every Wednesday on video so go subscribe to the wwe on fox youtube channel there's also clips from ron smackdown there there's clips from out of character there's youtube shorts there's a community tab everything that you would want out of a youtube channel in wrestling is there on the wwe on fox youtube channel so go make sure you subscribe and also follow wwe on fox on social media twitter facebook instagram tiktok we're on all of them so make sure You are following us there. All right, you go have a great Sunday, and we'll be back Monday, tomorrow, to talk about Monday Night Raw once it's over.